Hi, welcome to Stop Stigma, Start Healing, an Equitas Health podcast. In a world without stigma, we can ask for help, we can find comfort in community, we can heal together. Thanks for tuning in. Now here's Miles with today's episode. Hello, my name is Miles, and I am your host of Stop Stigma, Start Healing, the raw and uncensored podcast where we talk openly and unapologetically about our lives as trans, lesbian, bi, gay, queer, and HIV positive humans. Our goal is to stop the stigma that prevents us from getting the health care we deserve. Each episode will feature real people in our community in conversation and storytelling. My disclaimer, the experiences shared here are valuable and important. They are based on the lives of those in this space and some of you who are, are listening. Prepare to be educated, shocked, seen, triggered, and informed. No matter your response, keep the conversation going. We are stronger together. Start healing. Today's topic is on HIV and AIDS and the long-term survivor edition. I really struggled with what to call this, but I, I wanted to do two episodes on HIV and AIDS in our community. And uh, because I think there are, are different stories uh, based on um, when you were first introduced to HIV and AIDS, I think, I think as we know that um, historically in the 80s and 90s, it was a disease uh, that often meant a death sentence. And uh, nowadays, um, getting the diagnosis has a very different meaning. So I want to, I want to share those experiences in the next episode. But this one specifically, I wanted to make sure that we got to really honor some of the experiences of, of some pretty amazing people I know that um, have been um, living with HIV and AIDS for a long time. And so with that being said, I'm going to open us up to do introductions. Um, so tell us your first name, your pronouns, and what you want the audience to know about you. And I'll just start with Chris. Oh, okay. I'm Chris. I am a 64-year-old gay white male. Um, I have three children. I have grandchildren. I have all of the fun stuff that goes along with, with a family. Um, I am originally out of Toledo, and I, I say that with a little bit of embarrassment. <laughs> but um, I just, I'm who I am, and I don't apologize if I offend people. Great. And we'll hand the mic over to you. Okay. Well, I am Francesca. I am a trans woman. I'm HIV positive. I do define myself as a heterosexual woman. Um, and I was born and raised in Florida. That's my second time li living in, in Ohio, Columbus specifically. Columbus is home to me. It will always be home. And this is where I, I call home. It's where... I find I find people like me, so I've stayed. I don't have children. I don't have grandchildren. I do have chosen children who call me Aunt Frenchie. Um, I have chosen adults and members of, of this community who who call me Mama, which is a title I wear with great honor. We're so pleased to have you here. And so, and our third guest. Hi, I'm Mitch. Uh, um, I go by he, him pronouns. Uh, I um, am a big old flaming, you know what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have been for as long as I can remember, but didn't come to that decision to share that information early on. I am, I am positive. Um, I'm involved in the Columbus Gaiman's Chorus, uh, which is actually... Part of my chosen family, um, I have a 12-step fellowship that I belong to that is predominantly um, gay and lesbian, uh, which I get a lot of support from, and I go to Scrabble and lose a lot. So, <laughs> and I've been in you know Columbus for since 1984. I had to leave Eastern Ohio um, for my sanity among other things. 
Great. Well, so I'm so glad you're all three here. And I wanted to um, just sort of set the stage a little bit uh, without telling or retelling the story of um, the AIDS, HIV um, epidemic or pandemic. I was looking that up. Why was it not considered a pandemic? I thought it, I, I thought it is. Is it? Okay, good. Because I always hear the word epidemic and I'm like, that, that that's a pandemic. But anyway. It is a pandemic. It is a pandemic, right? It's all over the world. And so what we, some of the, some of the numbers that we know, uh, which I think are just incomprehensible, that since the beginning of, of the pandemic, 84 million people have been diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. 40 million of those have passed away. 38 million of those continue to survive today. Um, and I was trying to like, how do you even make sense of those numbers? I, that, that's beyond comprehension. Um, when I looked at the population of Canada, I think it's like 26 million. So if you think at 84 million people, that's almost three times the population of Canada. I was trying to compare it to something. And I don't even know what that's like because I know Canada is a big country and not overpopulated like United States of America. So anyway... Um, I invited you in today because I really wanted to make sure that we record your stories, that we share what your experiences have historically been like uh, interfacing with healthcare, being a part of the community, and then what it's like today. Um, there are people at home that might be listening into this. Uh, we know that a lot of long-term survivors are um, less ambulatory, are more at home um, and less engaged in the community than they were probably 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I just want to make sure that they're seen and they're heard. And I thought of you three as, as really the right people to help um, kind of destigmatize their experience. And so we're going to start off with, please share with us and the listeners at home your HIV story. Um, and I'm not really going to shape what that needs to look like. I just wanted to hand that over to you and tell the things that you thought were important. And you can go in any order. I'm not going to call you out. Well, I'm getting the look. So I'll go <laughs> first. Ladies I, first. I will just say for me, growing up as a young male in Florida, in a very rural area, I can remember in 1981, this coming to be, and I can remember all the stories about the Ray children, Ryan White, everything else happening, and the fear happening. And I was like, well, I've got to do something. Something has to be done. Everyone's in fear. And, you know, I'm a person of faith. Also, so I'll just throw it out there, out there. I'm also recently ordained and licensed by the state state of Ohio since 2014. So I can marry you, bury you, and baptize children, all of that for you. But um, I will say that, you know, whenever I, it was a very tough struggle growing up. Knowing who, who I was in a very rural area and knowing this was happening and trying to put on that hyper-masculine sense of I can't live in fear. And then I went short shortly into Marine Corps after graduating. I got dismissed because of becoming being called effeminate, blah, blah, blah. Um, so so the long story short is that I went through it. A whole lot of processes I did drag, and I can remember, remember back in 1984, 85, whenever I did one of my first drag shows, and it was it was, it was our drag queens, our lesbians, our trans women were doing the work of caring for those with HIV, and we we were running running security. If you didn't have to to perform, you were running running security at someone's house, protecting them from the family coming in. But I can I can remember a time when when churches were were building building double doors because you would have a funeral leaving and then another funeral coming in. But but in but in 1985, I can remember 
specifically hearing by the year two, 2000, 2010, and you would know someone who was living with, affected, affected, or or had been diagnosed with HIV. So I find it alarming here in 2022, people are less educated about HIV, or when you talk about HIV, the question is, oh my gosh, it's still around. I thought I thought it was over. I thought it was dead. But I will just say I was a victim of a rape and a carjacking from leaving uh, from heading, heading to a drag show in Columbus shortly after after my divorce. And so yeah, I was carjacked, I was raped, I was held hostage for three and a half days. I played dead, but um, I was eventually th thrown in the ditch, but, and, you know, I, I also say I, 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 that, that this HIV diagnosis saved my life too. So, and, we, and we'll get into that later, but I don't want to take time away from Chris and Mitch because I can talk forever. Well, thanks for sharing that. Those are things I didn't even know, Francesca. So thank you for sharing that. You want me to go next? You can go next because I'm the old guy. Oh, <laughs> yes, you are. Thank goodness. Um, well, I guess I'll go, go sort of chronological. Um, you know, I, I knew about HIV. I did my uh, senior paper in college was the homophile initiative, um, which, I, of course, I didn't get an A on. But, you know, I remember reading the articles about the you know, the five guys in Los Angeles that were, um, had a strange new pneumonia that nobody understood why they had it. And so it was always at the back of my mind when I, when I came down to Columbus that there was um, something out there. I probably, you know, the first few years I was in Columbus in, in the early 80s were definitely um, a lot of partying and um, didn't pay attention to a lot of stuff that happened outside of me. But uh, in um, August of 89, I ended up in the hospital with, uh, I had a cerebral hemorrhage and a, a viral meningitis. Uh, I was there for 10 days and um, tested negative. And then when I got out, I went to the doctor. He's like, oh, okay, you should go back and, and test again in six months. And then February 2nd, 1990, the the Western Bloc came back positive after the ELISA had come back positive. And that was um, when I found out that I was HIV positive. Uh, I crossed the threshold into what they used to call full-blown AIDS in uh, June of 96. And uh, there was some... I lost insurance because I got fired from a job that didn't fire me because I was HIV positive. I might have believed them until they actually said that to me, uh, but they were supposedly covering their asses. So we were doing watching and waiting on my T cells to see when they would drop. And that's when I could start drug treatment and then maybe have money to pay for the medications, which I didn't have at that point or to pay for the blood work, which I didn't have at that point. So we watched and waited and watched and waited. And then the next thing you knew, I went from 280 to 50. And my viral load was 350,000. And that was actually the first time I'd ever had a viral load done. And like Francesca, I, you know, I'm lucky. You know, it was, I was right at the advent of the, um, the protease inhibitors at that point, which were really a turning point and people were um, bouncing back. Uh, I remember the first couple healing weekends I went to, it was 18 months was considered a long-term survivor of, uh, of an AIDS diagnosis. Okay. Thanks, Mitch. Okay, Mitch. Hand that over to Chris. <laughs> and they hand it to me. Uh, I came out late in life. I came out when I was 40 and I moved to Columbus from Toledo and all of a sudden became like a kid in a candy store. And I had people telling me, oh, Chris, don't do this. Don't do this. You're going to regret it. You're going to get something. 
And I ended up with all the other STDs, but HIV never showed up. And then on the 8th of May of 2001, at 4.23 p.m., my primary care physician asked me why I thought I may have tested positive for HIV. And the world stood still. I went into a deep depression and had to just tell myself, this is, this is not going to take you out. You don't, there's better meds and don't think about all of your friends that have died. So I picked myself up, dusted myself off, licked my wounds, so to speak, and got back out active in the world. And six weeks later at a Columbus Gay Men's Chorus cast party, I came out publicly with it. And it was like taking the weight of the world off my shoulders. I didn't feel that I had to hide anything. I knew I didn't dare let my family know. Uh, I come out of a Baptist background that they would have just run me up the flagpole. So I jumped right into clinical trials at Ohio State. And that way, all of my, medica my medications and all of my care was being covered through the AIDS clinical trial group. And my family didn't need to know because my ex-wife worked for the insurance company that I carried my insurance through. And I knew if HIV crossed, you know, somebody's desk, they'd be right over to, right over to her. So I just, I, I got into the trials unit, um, started out on a, a four drug cocktail. And it was, it was at that time trying to figure out if it was four drugs, what works the best, four drugs, three drugs, two drugs, 18 pills, you know, whatever. And I just, I just kept going and going, and going. I, was fortunate enough being in the trials to be uh, overseen by what I consider to be one of the best HIV doctors in the country. And Dr. Para always, always made sure that everything was going, was going right for me. And here I am, you know, 20 plus years later, and I'm still kicking and don't, uh, you know, don't ex ever expect HIV or AIDS to knock me down. I think that's important. Um, talking about the clinical trials, um, you know, Ohio State Hospital is one of the national. It's one of the leading leading hospitals in the nation. Nation, and if someone can gain access to that clinical trials unit, you're really set, and it's and it's really good. Not everybody can do that, but at least you can go in there and get information and referrals. I will highly agree with that. And I will say back in the 80s and 90s, it was really scary because just as, as Mitch and Chris were talking about, if you knew someone who was who was working in, in insurance and they knew you, even 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 within our community, if you knew someone who, who was work, working in insurance. Um, and you didn't dare tell them you had just tested positive because they were getting somebody else. I can it was very, very scary to get insurance. It was very scary hook, hooking up. It was it was scary. And I will say, just like Chris said, I can remember go, going to, to clinical trials as, as that gay male after testing positive. And I can even even remember the fear because I can remember going to I, I didn't believe my results at the at the hospital. I went to the old health 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 department down down on Washington Street that no longer even exists there. And I mean it it was so so scary. I I think my tennis shoes were, were stuck there when, when they demolished the building. But I paid for, for five rapid tests, and you had to pay for rapid tests back then, and it was 10 bucks a test. 
And I said, and they were, and they were like, we'll, we'll test you all day long, but it's still going to come back positive. And then I was sent, sent to a Dr. Para, who has since retired, but I was also work, working in food service, waiting tables. I, I couldn't disclose my status, but I, I was taking 18, 20 pills a day. And, and back then it was like, um, and you had to, had to take it with pasta. You had to take it with cheese. You had to avoid dairy and, and you would set alarms every, every two or three hours, or you would have a buddy who was calling you saying, Hey, have, have you taken your pills? Because yes. And we still have Lazarus men and Lazarus women walking around today. We don't talk about, um, and, and those, those were, those were the men and women who were told get, get their affairs in, in order, order because you, you won't survive and go max out all, all your credit cards. I was told, told that. And I said, um, I'm, I, I am not a, a, a gallon of milk. I'm, I'm not going to expire. And, and I said, um, I'm, I'm a fighter, Dr. Para. I'm not giving up. And I will tell you, I, I have taken 23 years now. I have ta taken 23 years, which were not promised to me. And I hope I've made a difference with all those 23 years. But I think it's also, also important for those listening and those who don't, who don't know terminology, it, it is not okay to call someone, someone living with HIV dirty or, or use the word clean or dirty. You are clean. You take a shower. You you are important. You are valuable, and you are seen, and you make a difference. And I want you to know that. If you hear not nothing else from me, I want you knowing you are clean and you are valid, and you did nothing wrong and contracting this. Absolutely nothing. Find community and connection with Living Positively, a support group for long-term survivors of HIV. Join us on the first and third Thursday of each month from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Meetings are online and in person. Learn more about Living Positively and all of our support groups and services at equitashealth.com backslash start healing. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, can I jump in? Because you're making some really good points. And, and, and actually, I want to parlay back and, and see if I can touch on something that you had said, Chris, when you mentioned... We're going off script here a little bit. Uh -oh. When you had mentioned when the when the tester came in and said, or your physician, or physician said yeah. said, uh, what did you do to get HIV? Mm -hmm. Why did this why, why did this come up as HIV positive? Right. Why is such a judgment word? Right. Yes. That's so. It's back. You know the words, and then and then and then our interaction with the healthcare community. These very judgy, shamey sort of language, I think impacts. And, and he told me, he says, you have to, tomorrow when you're home, you have to go have a, a Western blot done. If that comes back positive, he says, then he says, this wasn't just a mistake. And I was just like, it blew me off my feet. It just, it blew me off my feet. And of course the Western blot came back and I then went over to a doctor at Riverside initially and he, my viral load was almost 800,000. My CD4 was at 203. And he's like, well, he says, we need to wait for your CD4 to drop down to 50 before we're going to start medication. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And I just, I never saw him again. And that's the following day I went over to OSU and got into the clinical trials. And by the time... I got on meds. I was diagnosed as AIDS by the numbers because back then, if you dropped below 200, up, you know, infections or not, you were classified as AIDS. So here I am, and it didn't stop me. So, um, you know, I think I'm really lucky. I've I've had my doctor has been in this. It's not the exact same doctor, but a there were two of them in that practice together and one of them retired 
and one still is um, around. And I'm really lucky because he's an infectious disease expert, and I did not experience any of those types of discriminations uh, against HIV. The only time was one time going into uh, the emergency room at Mount Carmel was I felt that the nurse there didn't want to take care of me and like was scared. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going way off script, but on in that sort of vein, what about like in the early days of your diagnosis, even sharing with like your dentist? I mean, they would ask that question. How was that? Your pharmacist. My yeah. dentist never had a problem. Okay. Um, and I really haven't run into, other than my initial diagnosis, I have not run into any really negative comments from medical professionals. Now, there's been other people that have had their their fair say, but my doctors, I'm very upfront with them right off the bat. And then it takes away from the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Well, so then to follow up with what you were saying about language, getting back on script. Uh, so talk to us about um, the how the community supported you initially, and then maybe what, what the community support looks like now. And, and when I say community, I mean chosen family, the people you spend time with, the organizations you're involved with, your community where you live, those sorts of ideas of community. So, um, like I said, I, I'm in a uh, 12-step fellowship, and that was before my diagnosis, and so they were partially family, and I had a lot of support from them. And, I, you know, I have, I have friends, you know, 35 years later, you know, that are very supportive. Um, I joined the course because I needed to include something in my life because I had just found out that I was positive and then I incorporated them into my family. Now, I did my physical family, my biological family. I had I had probably about maybe 2 years after I was diagnosed. I can't remember exactly when it was. I went home and I said, I have two things that I need to tell you. I have HIV, the virus that leads to AIDS, and I'm gay. Oh, the one-two punch. I call yeah. whammy. <laughs> so, and the reason I did that was because of, would there be a place that I could be taken care of if I needed that? If I was on, you know, if I was getting ready to go out of this world, would I have a safe place to be? And I needed to know that. And I found out that they would be there for me. Um, the gay thing took a little bit longer. Um, and there's still lots of judgment there. But that's it. Well, for me, it was strange because a lot of people I thought in the gay community and performers I was performing with, and I didn't realize it at the time, Whenever I came in and I just said, well, y'all, I just tested positive and I don't know what the F I'm going to do. And and they, and they said, well, well, girl, go on home. Take care of yourself. I, th- I thought they were shunning me. I, th- I, th- I thought they were disowning me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my own community's turning against me. So I, ca- I called my, I call them my, 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 like, my, and my hillbilly family from rural Florida. And I told my dad and my dad was just like, okay, so, so in your le- le- left-handed and then even, even though I'm, <laughs> I, I am right-hand dominant. And he said, we're going to get through this. But, and then my brother, who was, who was going through cancer at the time, and looked at me and said, "You've always struggled with with your with your identity. When when are you going to start start li- living in your truth? This is the time for you to to wake up and make a difference." And for him, he said, "He said I'm dying. You have a chance to live." And I'm like, 
Yes, I, I, I know, and I should be dying because I'm the single one and you have a six-month-old six baby girl. You should be staying, but, but he's like, no, you've got a purpose. So, but I was always close with him, but he gave me, I think he gave me my fight and my sister, who is younger than me, I, I always tell, tell her, tell her, her, she, she, she is my biggest, littlest sister but one of the most powerful, strongest women I know, because I think a lot, a lot of how 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 three boys treated her, and and she would whip whip, whip our butts. But there was strength in that, so I learned a lot of strength, becoming my authentic self through through her. So yeah, I know I'm off script. You're totally went, fine now. Those are, the, I mean, but, that's really great insight into family and family support. Chris, do you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Miles, I've talked to you about some of my family, so you understand. Um, like I said, I came out at 40. And the old saying, you know, like a bull in a china shop, I came out like a bull in a china shop. Lots of china broke. And... I was basically told, don't come back home. And so I left. I mean, I just, I went back and came back to Columbus. And it's like, okay, this is all well and good. And I felt because I was still being insured through my wife that I needed to tell her so that she did not get blindsided. So I told her, and the first thing she's, her first comment was, well, do I need to go get tested? And I'm like, Kim, we've been separated for five years. I think you're okay. <laughs> and she just took it okay. She's, of course, you know, the Baptist in her was, well, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm like, well, thank you. Pray for me, but not about me. And that is very important. It is. It, there's, it's a major change in how it's perceived by the person that's being prayed for. Exactly. And yeah. So I started, I started the stuff and I had joined the chorus right after I had moved to Columbus and they became my adopted family because my own family was like, go screw yourself. And when I got my diagnosis, I, first person I called was our artistic director because he was a very close friend and I told him and he said anything that you need just let me know I'll be there for you and then I approached a couple of other chorus members that I was very close with and let them know and I just I needed some type of a support mechanism because I'm living alone in a city that I don't hardly know anybody other than my chorus family and I had this concert coming up and it, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but part of the lyric was took a chance, changed my way of life. I didn't think I was going to be able to do the chorus, do the concert. I just, it just, that just cut right through me. And I just did a lot of retrospect and it's like, no, I need to do this. I have to do this. And David Mansoor knew my situation and he was very supportive with me. He said, if you don't, if you can't sing, I, I understand. And I did the concerts and I ended up being chorus girl of the year. Which is a big honor. Yes. <laughs> and it uh, kind of caught me off guard. And I was just like, okay. And I had to go up in the front of everybody in the, in the hall. And they tried to put a, a tiara on me, but I have no hair. So <laughs> it just kind of slid off. And my scepter. And I just started talking. And I don't even remember everything that I said. But part of it was this concert almost didn't happen for me because five weeks ago I tested HIV positive and 
everybody was just like, you know, hugs and hugs and hugs. And I walked back to my chair and sat down and my friend Tony that was sitting next to me said, that took a lot of balls. And I said, well, either balls or no common sense. I'll let you know in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and after that happened, and I was public with it, you know, telling 125 gay men sitting in a room that is like, okay, if this is working and not working against me now, out in public, it's not going to work against me either. I won't let it. And I just keep on going. The only, you know, the only family question that I had was from my kids. And there, I told them in the car one night as I was taking them back to Toledo. And my oldest daughter, who's just like her dad, said, well, are you going to die? And I'm like, I don't plan on it. Why? She says, well, then fine. You know. So it just, it took a while for the rest of my family to kind of adapt to it. Um, and then I was backed into a corner by my older sister to either tell my mother or she was going to do it for me. And so the partner that I had at the time was bipolar and he just went off. And so we sat mom down out on the sun porch and said, this is what's going on. She, Cause she wanted to know why there was so much argument going on out in the garage. And I just told her, I said, mom, I'm HIV positive. And she says, what's that mean? I says, that means that I have the virus that can cause AIDS. And she's like, why are you telling me this? And I said, because she said, if I didn't tell you, she was going to do it for me. And my mom looked at my sister and she said, you know, I have enough things to worry about with your father's health. She says, I certainly did not need this added to the mix. And that was kind of a surprise coming out of my mom. And to this day, she still asks me about my counts and she's 91 and she has used my HIV diagnosis. She said something to one of her neighbors who lost her son in 1995 to AIDS. And it just has created a really big dialogue for me when I'm down at mom's in South Carolina to, uh, to, to be who I am mm -hmm. and not be afraid to talk about it. Great. Francesca, I saw your hand up. I just wanted to say I can relate to you, Chris, because I can remember I said I've lived in Columbus twice, but but very few people know when I lived in Columbus the first time, I, I was attending attending World Harvest Bible College. I was married at the time. I was living on the on the east side, and yes, I was trying to suppress and pray the gay away. And I was in every every single pray the gay, pray the gay, pray pray the pray pray this desire away, pray that that desire away, and and I'm here to to tell you the the more you try praying it away, the more it will intensify it, and the more your truth will come out. But I can also my my wife at the time went to the school. And told them I had done drag in the past, blah, blah, blah. I was expelled from, from school. Long story short, I came home, home to, to this two-bedroom apartment. I had nothing. And the only thing I knew with, with a roll-up toilet paper, paper in the bathroom, and the quickest way for, for me to survive and get food and make and make some money was was trying to find some way, some way to create a dress, go to a thrift store, find a dress, try to borrow money from somebody and, and get on stage, find some heels, get some hose, hose on, get some make, makeup on so, so, so that I can eat that night. And, and that, is, that is part of my truth. And I will say that, that as a person of faith, I, I support you. You don't have to pray away anything. And and, and it is, is important how you pray pray for someone because I had so many people say, I'm gonna pray for your healing. I I don't need healed. 
I, I told them, I have been healed. I, I know my God. My, my, my God ordained my steps. I know this. I know that. This is my truth. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to own it. And this is who, who I am. And, and people now, now will tell you two, two things you, you will know about, about, about Francesca in the first minute. One, she, she is trans and two, she, she is li, 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 living with a, a, a HIV before something else comes, comes out. Because those two things, if you have a, have, have a fear of those or prejudice, I, I don't need you around. I got to protect my sphere. Yeah, I ran into it thrown in my face by one of my sisters that, well, you got this because God's trying to get your attention to come back to him. And I'm like, excuse me. I said, if, you know, he's known everything from the beginning of time, has known everything going on. He knew I was going to come out gay. He knew I was going to get HIV. So you can't blame this on me. You can't blame this on God. If we were to really place the blame, we would place it with with it within society, be, because because society forces you to live a heteronormative life. Mm -hmm. if, because if if we were true about about things, trans people, gay people, we've been around forever. We have been been here since since the beginning of time, and we have been celebrated in many cultures, and religions, and and especially trans trans pe people used to hold very high places and and authority as bankers, rulers, and deities with the, within governments and that. So. So, so if there if there's anyone to place blame, it it is those for, forcing you to, to to deny and live a lie that 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 is untrue to you, and and that is society's problem. The um, more it is not ours. Yeah, the more you two talk, the more I'm writing down ideas to bring you back for other episodes. So uh -oh. just be careful. Um, I want to <laughs> bring I'm, me back. Mitch was Mitch's hand went up just a little bit, and and I just want to make sure he had some space. To, um, to step I just wondered in. if he wanted to talk about some things like um, alternative. Uh, there were lots of support groups when I first found out, and a lot of them were alternative because. You know, the drugs either didn't exist or they were very, very toxic. And then, which leads me into side effects from some of the early medications that, that we that we took. And what they, you know, especially Chris and um, at um, OSU. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can, can I start? Yeah, please go for it. Um, so I remember that there, you know, we would, there was a Monday night support group. And a lot of times it just seemed like the Monday night support support group was like, okay, who's died in the last week? Yeah. And, um, and then there was Thursday night had multiple different, um, Eastern type of approaches, sometimes nutritional, sometimes meditation. Um, but I really latched into those things early to help me cope with my diagnoses. And, um, and there were, you know, we, you know, we went to, I don't know, I probably went to a funeral every couple months for five or six years, at least. Uh, the, the side effects of medications I had and still have, um, I had peripheral neuropathy. I lost most of the feeling below my knees. Um, and I didn't notice it until one time I looked down and I was bleeding because I had gotten a huge splinter and I didn't feel it at all. So, of course, I had to go off of that medication and try a different one. Um, I developed kidney stones, uh, because of one of the protease inhibitors that I was on. Uh, I get to have some lovely blasting to my kidney stones done, uh, next month. Yay. Um, Ooh, sounds exciting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was really sick, you know, social security officer came into my hospital room and helped me fill out the paperwork to, to get the disability um, 
and I didn't want to do that again. So one of the early protease inhibitors I was on, the first three months, I threw up every single time I took the pills. And I would catch them, and I would rinse them off, and I would retake them because I because I didn't want to die. Well, you had, you had to. And that was not yeah. uncommon, and it was not uncommon back in the in the 80s or 90s, whenever someone passed, you were taking someone's meds and you were giving those meds to somebody else because, again, an insurance was scary. It was scary to talk about insurance. So you were passing meds around that I, I don't encourage that by any means now. But but back then, it was that reality. is how many of us had, had to survive. We yeah. we. We, we were taking a dead friend's meds. Literally, we were taking, taking one of our friend's meds who had died. We were taking their meds to survive and live. Um, no, that's just really sort of, sort of what I wanted to bring up that, you know, because there was a time period there where, where there was a desire for HIV negative gay men to seroconvert. And I don't know if that's still. Uh, I don't breeders, know. It, it's still. I don't the know. If breeders are still out there. I, I, if it's still out there, but I, I. It's not all fun and games, you know. Let me just say, we still have those bug chasers out there, and many of you who know you, you equals you, we still have the chasers coming because we we have youth who think. Hey, I I want to get this. I want you to purposely infect me, and me because I can get free rent, free food stamps, free this, free that. Let me tell you, it is not it is not easy living on Social Security. I'll just be honest, kids. I'll tell you, I live on twelve hundred dollars a month, and and with without getting support, I would be on on the streets of Columbus. Or I would have to have to be doing sex work to survive to have a place to live, and that's not okay. And it's not okay to go chasing this. It you the, the whole chaser thing. I had one young man that was just continually bothering me, wanting me to breed him, breed me, breed me. I want the disease, and I had not met him face to face. I had met him online and I said, I need to sit down with you at the coffee table and you need to explain to me why you want this. I said, doesn't mean that I'm going to give it to you, but I need to, for my own knowledge, I need to know why you are so eager to get this. So we sat down and talked and he told me, he says, if you're just a run of the mill gay man, you won't get it. But he says, if you're really hot, you're going to get it. He says, it's a badge of honor. And I told him, I says, that is the most twisted mindset I have ever heard. And he says, well, if you won't do me, I'll find somebody else who will. And he did. And he sent me a message and he's like, I tested positive. And I'm like, okay. I says, what meds? He says, they're having trouble finding meds for me because they said my strain is resistant to almost everything out there. That is another thing <sighs> we need to talk about because people want to be purposely infected. And if I'm telling you, your dating game changes when you become, when you contract HIV, the rejection you get just from saying I am HIV positive, I, I had two months ago, I was talking with the guy. I was just talk, talking with him and he said, I got to go buy a, a new phone because I'm talking with you and you're HIV positive. I said, you, you are in your house on the east side of Columbus. I'm on the west side. There is no contact. There is no sexual contact. But this is the mindset of some people. And we really have to have to talk about the law as an HIV positive person. And as someone, someone who tells people what, what they tell you when you test positive is, is that um, if you don't tell someone before engaging in sex, 
Now you have to have to know how that how that how that other person defines sex, se, 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 and and sex in many cultures could could be considered holding hands, a kiss. It could be many many things, but but you could be held accountable and be arrested arrested for for not for not disclosing. And I tell people this: I make sure. There, there's a third party. I get test. I get text. I make sure you understand. You, you have to have to tell me. You can under understand what it means for me to be living with HIV. Also, furthermore, a second part part of this law, which which they which they don't tell you, is is that um, if you are living with HIV. And you're out with somebody, and you go home with them, and and you are, and you're intoxicated, even though, and your partner may may have consented for for that for that hookup, and and your and your partner who who you are who you are engaging, or partners, if if you're in a plural, um, situation, you must tell them, and they must be. Competent and coherent. If if they if they are are influenced by pot, Tina, whatever, alcohol, you you have to have to put put the brakes on and say no. I cannot engage in sexual activity. You have got to CYA as as an HIV positive person. And these are laws on the books. People don't tell you the the second part I just told you all, but it's very scary, and you have to know your law. Folks. Sure, there is right. So I, I mean, for, for those listening, there are state laws that criminalize um, HIV transmission or alleged transmission in Ohio, and there's an effort um, in the works to modernize those modernize, laws. Yeah, because I I was talking with somebody not too long ago, and it was not even attempted transmission, failure to disclose. Close. Yeah. And he said that we've got to get this off the books. He says, you equals you. He said, this has to come off the books. Failure to disclose can get you, and it's on you as the HIV positive person to prove so, this is why I'm I'm taking my next step. I'm going to, to become a notary so so that so that I can help this community and come and notarize and put a seal on there. Well, I'll go ahead. And no, I just go say and and there are places I can. I'm thinking of that place and that person that was incarcerated in Iowa. It, it, it's a felony, and you go to jail, and it. it 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 happens. Yeah, it does. It, it we, happens we here have in Ohio. We had a young African American male in New York State who told his status, and he is still in a mental hospital for the rest of his life, even though his sentence is done. And you look 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 at look 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 at look at Sean Williams. It's very very real, people. It's scary. I knew this would pull the belly fire out of Francesca, which is why I'm glad that she joined the conversation. But um, we have the studio for an hour, and there is probably ten hours of content that we could we could kiki about today. And I I want to be mindful of our time together and make sure that we um, can get back to the the final the final questions. Which how has your relationship with healthcare changed over the years? With me, I really have not had a negative uh, problem with healthcare because of the clinical trials. I was in those trials for 21 years, and I just recently came out. But my primary care doctor has taken a lot of Dr. Paris patients, so he's also now my infectious disease doctor as well. And I've always had insurance. And what my insurance didn't cover, Ryan White would pick up. And at this particular time, I'm in limbo. My former insurance ended July 31st. I had to buy two months worth of coverage on the marketplace, which has just been a disaster. And la the last five days, I have probably spent 15 hours on the telephone trying to get my HIV 
um, injections taken care of, who's going to pay for it, what's going to pay for it. And I got to the point, it's like, you know what? I still have my old cocktail in the house. I have four bottles of it. I may just say, screw the shots, go back on my, on my Juluca. And once I've got onto Medicare, then I can go back and everything will start to fall into place. That's right. You are that old. I am that old. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I the turned shade. 65 the day after, <laughs> I think it's day after your birthday. Yes. <laughs> so, but I'm four years younger. Yeah. <laughs> so he says. So Mitch, how about you? How, is, how, has, how has healthcare changed for you? And, and including things like medication dosing. I think the thing that people need to re realize is that the medication that I am on now, my antiviral medication, um, if I would have to pay for it, it's over $3,000 a month. I could not afford that on the disability that I have or my part-time job and continued to pay any bills. I just couldn't afford it. Um, I'm fortunate that I get my medications through Ryan White because I'm poor enough. I'm fortunate that I haven't that I got sick enough that I became disabled, so I was able to get eventually Medicare. You know, so I you know, and I have Medicare. All of my referrals to my doctor are from my infectious disease doctor, so they know up they know up front, you know, what they're getting with me. Um, so. All, the, all those doctors know. The, the cost of these medications is just astronomical. I went from a one pill a day, and because of other health issues this year, I was missing too many doses. I'd forget to take my morning meds. So my doctor said, would you consider doing the shots? He says, it's two shots every two months. I said, Cabernuva, I've heard about it. Does it really work? I've been on it now for five months. And I didn't realize until just this past week how expensive those two shots are. It's over $9,700 every other month. That is just, that's crazy. But if thank, it keeps me thank going. Thank you, Big Pharma. Yeah. That's hello, Big Pharma. Um, I will say, coming out as trans back in 1999 after testing positive, I was fortunate that the doctor I was going to identified as lesbian at the time. She's since retired. I had a conversation, and I said, I know I need hormones. Otherwise, I'm going on, on the black market. I'm going to go get them. Otherwise, I'm going to wrap a, a car around around this pole out front. And she said, no, and we're getting you on estrogen. We're getting you on estrogen shots. I can tell you back, back in 1999, we didn't know much about trans and HIV. What I can tell you is, is, is that back in 1999, when I wanted to have my surgery and to have gender confirmation, and lose the male anatomy and become female anatomy, I was told I would never have, have that opportunity. And now because, because of you equals you and because of universal precautions, blah, 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 I, I had my surgery in 2019. But what I, what I can tell you is that, is, is that trans care has come a very, very long way I believe if you are trans and you want the care, it may, it may require you to move to a more metropolitan area to get that care and to get the competent care you need. But, but, but I mean, if you need it, you're going to make a way. <clears throat> I, I also want to say I had one, one physician who said, I tell you what, I wanted to meet you on on Thursday, and this was going into a holiday weekend. And then she said, I know nothing about trans care, but I want to meet you. I want to sit down with you. And, and I, I just want to know 
what what state do I need to do? And 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 can you point point me in the way of research? And she said, um, and my husband and my kids are going going off off to my in-laws for the weekend. I'm staying home. I mean, she said, I am gonna study. And she said, I'm bringing you back back in on Tuesday at eleven. She she came back in, and and at the at the time we didn't even have markers to identify as trans people. And whenever I t- I told her that, she she said so, and and she got it. Tra- trans people are not men who have sex with men. You you are trans, and so she helped me fight to to get those boxes on the forms. So I think. From someone just investing and being honest and being real with me and saying, I don't know. But I will also say, and I have said, said this in other conversations, I did have a case manager one, one time who said, I, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't deal with, with, with um, a tranny. I, I can help gay men, but, but um, trannies are just out of, out of my box. And I'm not I'm not gonna deal with a tranny. And folks, I know it's wrong to say that, but but back then this is how how they called it. So it was a tranny. And I was like, excuse me, I'm still a human being. You have no right telling me that. I I went I went and um into the in into one of the director's offices. I can't remember whose. But I just walked walked in as though I, I owned the place. And so I said, and your case manager, so and so just said this, this, and this to me. And 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 they can't cannot cannot help me. And I said, I am still a human being. And 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 the purpose when you're when you're human is to be operating and being humane with, with compassion and with empathy. And and ever everyone deserves compassion and empathy. Thank Everybody. you, thank you, and I appreciate you bringing that to the table. That's that's important message for people to hear. Um, final words. We're near the end here, and I want to make sure that you were able to get out. I, I pulled you all the way out here outside in the burbs, and I asked hate you the suburbs. <laughs> and I asked <laughs> you to speak about really personal things, um, really to help people with with stigma. Um, and make sure that, that, you know, people knew that, that their voices were, were being echoed, but I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to say the things that you wanted to say coming out. I think the only thing that I would like to say is that if you are a, a young queer identifying individual or not, um, you know, you, you have a lot of wealth of knowledge and information with, with your elders and get in contact with those elders, whether they be. HIV, you know, we can definitely tell you stories um, so that we can pass it on to the next generation. Don't ever be afraid to research and ask. That's, I mean, that is the key. Knowledge is power. I am trying to summarize my paragraph because I want to say so much, (laughs) but... This is what I want you to know. One, I am often often asked as a as a trans woman why I I show show up often, why I demand space, and and if not, I bring a folding chair because I learned in 1972 as a young kid if if there isn't space for me, I'm bringing a fo- folding chair. Thank you, Shirley Chisholm. I give honor where it's due. I want you to know, I I don't care. A- HIV touches every single socioeconomic race. It combines us. It brings equality and dimension to every single one of us and our stories. Every single one of you are valid. And and I want you to know, I, I show up and I show out and I fight for you. Because, because if not me, as as a trans woman, and of 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 like fifty six six years of age, who who will? And I will say, it 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 takes balls to do this. It's, it takes balls to stand stand up and be rejected, 
tempted and to be laughed at, laughed at, but I will do it. If it saves your life, I will do it. And folks, you have living history and you have a responsibility and a challenge to find those with this living history and learn it, learn it because you won't find it in the textbook. And with that, I just want, want you knowing um, and you are valid, you are seen, you are heard, and I love you no matter what. And you can't do anything about it. Well, you just said all of the things that I was going to say to close this uh, discussion out today. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, there is way more content here than we could get through in an hour. And I knew that coming in. And I appreciate you allowing me to shape it as much as we could to get the, the central message out and to get your voices heard. So I appreciate um, you taking your time out and being here and sharing your stories with us. And for those listening, um, please keep talking about this. Uh, share it on social media. Share it with your friends, your family. Have these conversations tune into some of our other episodes because we're going to be addressing many of these other topics that have come up today in, in some of our other episodes. And uh, with that, uh, we will sign out of uh, Stop Stigma, Start Healing. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Stop Stigma, Start Healing and for joining us on the journey towards stigma-free and LGBTQ plus affirming healthcare. Learn more about all of our support groups and services at equitashealth.com backslash start healing. We'll see you next time.